0: This episode is a bit of a mix between talking about ADHD, COVID-19, and in a sense, it's a letter to my son, or even better, a letter to my sons. Both my sons, Etienne and Kai, are the future. Etienne is eight, Kai is 11. They're growing up to become young adults. And they're going to be tasked with carving out their own path in this world. And I hear a lot of millennials say, oh, we don't want to have kids. I don't want to bring a kid in this, into this fucked up world. Now, I get what they're saying. I'm aware of that precaution, right? Because having a child is lots of millennials, and not just millennials, other people who don't want to have kids. They observe other parents struggle with parenting struggle with raising children, not just raising them, but also raising them inside this right now, currently very confusing world. I get it. I understand when someone decides not to have children and that is everyone's right to do so, to have or not, it still is a right, I think. Last time I checked the internet, it was still a human right to have a child. (laughs) But uh, today's episode came out of a certain sadness that I uh, recently experienced when looking around, not so much just with what's going on, current events, the news. It's a twofold sadness. One is I feel it really has brought out and also visually uh, intensified. The fear that people have. So for example, and don't get me wrong, and by the way, I must say this, and it's sad that I have to say this, but as a disclaimer, I'm not a medical professional. Nothing I say here is advised for you to be doing to get healthier or to avoid getting something or to cure yourself or heal someone. You know, this, I'm not a medical professional. This is food for thought, not medicine or medication. So that said, when I see someone driving in a car wearing a mask, sure, there's a moment of benefit of doubt where I say, well, maybe they're going to the store, and they already put the mask on, and they don't want to deal with it as they're getting out of the car. They're just going to leave it on. They, they live two minutes from the store. Great. But I'm going to use it as an example, because if current science really has a basis in reality, the six feet apart, double mask it, social distance, you know, sanitizer and all that stuff, then wearing a mask in your car is completely pointless. Yet there are people who do it because it's better safe than sorry. How far is that going to go? Now, this episode is not about COVID. This is not to say you should be on this side or that side of the wear a mask debate, I have my own opinions and you have yours and I respect both of them and both of us. So there you have it. But let's talk about fears. There was an article recently coming out of Israel that scientists had done a study over a few months with a few thousand children, ADHD children. And supposedly what they claim is that children with ADHD are at higher risk of contracting COVID, coronavirus. And I was like, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me back up here. Let's go read the article. And you can look this up. I will post the article in the show notes so you can go into details and you're welcome to go to the source material because it is important to see the source material. But basically what they wrote was that, and here's, well, before we go there, my thinking right away was are they saying there's something so hold on let me back up i made a little mistake here left something out and that's a very crucial detail so the claim was that unmedicated adhd children are at higher risk of contracting coronavirus so saying if you're medicated as an adhd child you're less you know likely to get it okay So that was the detail, unmedicated, more likely to get it. So I thought, hmm, is there something in stimulant drugs that children or parents give their children uh, for ADHD that prevents the coronavirus? Because if so, that would be a scientific breakthrough. What's in it? Let's see. What do we, you know, how do we take it? But of course, I quickly discovered that that's not what they were referring to. What they were actually saying is that children with ADHD are more negligent, forgetful, impulsive, restless, hyperactive, and they will actually forget to put on a mask or forget to wash their hands or sanitize. Okay, I thought. Interesting. So that just to me, there was just something there that I couldn't put my finger on. And I was talking to um, our scientist in Israel, Yaakov Ophir, who... um, wrote a wonderful article coming out of Israel uh, that says um, ADHD is not an illness and Ritalin's is not the cure. He got a lot of heat for it. So he went to work and he asked the scientists for their source materials and he hasn't gotten it yet. And normally in science, there's a transparency. You ask for the source materials or the documentation and you share it, Right. And he is convinced that there's something else going on, and this is what it is. And again, this is food for thought. We do not have proof of that, but just think about it for a minute. Once coronavirus hit and children were um, said, you know, were, were forced essentially, regulated to stay at home, not to go to school, lots of parents realized that because they're not in a classroom environment, they're not inside that structure, that kind of constraint of the box of the classroom that a lot of their children actually didn't need the ADHD medication. Supposedly, some with extreme uh, hyperactivity still gave their kids medication. But lots of them, and I saw evidence of this in uh, the f- uh, ADHD uh, social media forums that I'm part of uh, for research, um, I saw lots of parents saying, like, yep, I've I'm, I'm stopped the medication at home. It's actually going pretty well. Um, and, and it was widespread. And I think what happened, and Yaakov also speculated that uh, pharmaceutical companies realized a drop in ADHD meds consumption uh, the moment or shortly after kids were, were ordered to stay at home. So to me, it would make sense for someone to say, well, you know what, let's just parents, you know don't, don't, don't judge too quickly. Don't make any mistakes. Cause you know, if your kids don't get medicated and they want to go see their friend and they, they run out the door, they don't grab the mask. They don't, you know, wash their hands when they come back, they may get coronavirus, right? Now you could say, well, that's, you know, it's a valid concern. That's, you know, but the problem is, uh, with so much of our journalism is that Attitude magazine, which is a a Chad magazine, Chad is an organization that, and you can look this up, is heavily sponsored by the pharmaceutical companies, posted an article saying this, right? Unmedicated children with ADHD are more likely to contract coronavirus. Guess what most busy, already fearful, freaked out parents hear when they read that? They go, you know what? Uh, let's just go back on the meds. I don't want to risk it. You know what? They're right. They may not even read the article, but because they're subscribed to a uh, online magazine, such, such as the Attitude magazine, and they see that article, they quickly go back to normal as in medication. So why am I telling you this story? I just started out this podcast with talking about fear. Well, right there is where fear made a decision. Where fear-based fact journalism, quote-unquote fact journalism, it's more like a um, opinion journalism in this case, actually convinced many parents to go back on medication. And I've seen it online where parents are like, you know what, we, we, we decided not to, but then now we're going back, it's just too risky. And you know, there's a lot of talk about Corona and there's a lot of talk about not stepping, not, not stopping with the medication now because Corona and you know. So my point is that there is a fear out there in the world and that fear made me sad. Going back to the original reason why I wanted to do an episode Sort of a letter to my sons. And I wanted to have this episode be something that they can listen to when they grow older. When I'm gone, they hopefully will listen to some of the podcasts, some of the episodes I've recorded. I would want to believe that before I die, I can say I did about 500 episodes on love, intimacy, life. ADHD and so forth, please listen to all of them because I wish my father would have left me something. My father left me nothing. Now it's not that he left me nothing, but there was no communication of any sorts. Like here's what I learned. Here's what I didn't do that I hope you will do. Here's what I, what I saw you did. Here's a suggestion to how you can improve and nothing right? He left me with a good sense of how to be peaceful in life and how to not stress and how to have fun and be goofy. And there's, there's things I, I got left with. Absolutely. I got a lot of value from having essentially a very good hearted, uh, funny father. Absolutely. But what I'm hoping to leave for my children are some insights, things I've learned so they can stand on the shoulder of a giant because I am currently standing on the shoulders of giants. And so we grow together. We stop passing on hand-me-down traumas. We give each other the space to grow from the start. And you know, as a parent, you always wonder, when can I have an actual adult conversation with my kids? Well, there isn't going to be that one day where you do it. You just slowly let it seep in. And this episode, is something that if my kids listen to it soon, great. But really, it's almost like a time capsule. I want them to go back and listen to this. And this is a letter to you, my sons, Etienne and Kai. This is a letter that is going to be a stand for love over fear. Let me tell you something about fear. One of my favorite authors, Neil Donald Walsh, who penned the conversations with God books, one, two, and three, that I just could not put down and read each book in a day, blew my mind, changed my life. And one of the terms that I believe he coined, I could be wrong, but he definitely coined it in his book, was fear actually means false evidence appearing as real. And that stayed with me since that 1996, I believe it was when I read the books, 24 years, I've been living this and I would always say to myself, there's some fear here. I fear something, but I know that it's not real evidence because I don't see it in front of me. It's not a tiger about to jump at me and I go, oh my God, I fear tigers about, I'm gone. Right? Not that kind of fear the fear of, oh, can I pay this bill? Will I be able to make money this month? Uh, Will this project happen? Will this person like me? Uh, Can I tell this to my wife without her getting angry? And so forth, right? I want you to know that fear will always be there. Fear is just a reminder of how our mind works. Our mind is sort of a red flag system where, let's say as a child, you stick your um, your screwdriver, your hand into a socket or some piece of metal, and you get shocked. Guess what? You will most likely not stick your hand in another socket ever again. Now, you could be so little that, you know, the what I call red flag system isn't activated yet. But usually in the early couple of years already, children know they do something and it's like, oh shit don't do that again. That fucking hurt. So I call that the red flag system. Now, what do we do with that? Right? So what we do is something will happen and it could be with something we like or don't like. So let's say something happens. We don't like it. It hurts. Ow. We take that little flag and we put it in our future ahead of us. We plant it there. And then meanwhile, we'll forget. We'll be in the present. We'll be doing something. La, 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 la. And let's say suddenly there's another socket and you see a piece of metal in your mind. You go to the future. You go, if I stuck that piece of metal into this socket now, which I remember from my past, I would get hurt again. So let me not do that. Right? So it's a warning system. It works very well for most of us. So the only problem with the red flag system is we do that with everything. So say... You break up, or somebody breaks up with you, horrible breakup. You love this person, they leave you, and you're just destroyed, right? And maybe that person was very intellectual, was wearing glasses, and had a really great smelling cologne when you first met them. I'm just going to use a very specific example so you get the point you know, quickly. Now, fast forward, you haven't been dating for a while, you're fine on your own, and suddenly you meet this guy somewhere, And, uh, you smell something familiar, like, Ooh, that smells really good. You look around the corner on the bus, you see this person, they're not wearing glasses, but suddenly they pick, they bring out a book and they put on a pair of glasses and you're like, Oh, that kind of guy. Yeah, I've been there. Maybe not. I don't want to get hurt again. Right? So we have this, just an example. You can add that. You can apply that to anything. There's this system that warns us that says, That hurt you before. That didn't work out before. So don't do it again. And fear is a little bit similar. It's more nuanced and fractured than that. But fear is basically telling us, you know, all the stuff you've heard about this and you know, from your past, there's some evidence and you know how that didn't work out last time. So yeah, I don't know if this is going to work out, right? That's constantly running in their minds. And my sons, I'm here to say that that'll never stop that that is always going to be there. That is a mechanism that we're equipped with. It's part of our operating system. So what you do with that is you acknowledge it. Oh, look, there's that fear. Thank you for warning me. But now I'm going to step through that. I'm going to do what my gut feeling tells me to do, which is I do want to meet this person. They seem nice. Or I do want to go and apply for this job. Or I'm, I'm going to start that project that I'm afraid to fail with. Right. So, so you step through it. And guess what? You may fail with that project. Once you've stepped through the fear and you tried it, you may have another breakup. You may, you may, you may, you may, but maybe you won't. maybe you will succeed. Maybe you will be madly in love again. Maybe you will have the best, the new career that you've always wanted. And it's amazing, right? There's always going to be two different outcomes to every situation, but here's the promise. If you step through the fear and you go experience what your gut feeling told you, it wanted to experience like your higher self says, come over here, come over here, go experience it. And I guarantee you there will be growth. The least you will get out of it is an improved you. And to me, when I look back at all my my life and everything I've achieved in life, having come this far, 50 years old, looking back, if I had allowed myself to be stopped by this fearful negative chatter, the little voice in my head. There's probably 30, 40 things in life that I would have never experienced, and those are magical things. Those are amazing, amazing things that I'm so proud of having achieved them. I'm so excited to to look back and say, "Wow, I actually did that. I achieved that." And so what I'm what I'm here to say is that Fear is part of life. And right now, we all are going through uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 times, 2020. The family of four that we are, you know, we're doing it. We're actually together moving through this. And what I'm here to say is that this too shall pass. And this too shall pass no matter what the outcome is. The outcome can be as worse as we can anticipate it, as good, as the best possible scenario. Again, either way, we're going to get a lot of growth from this. And like my friend beekeeper, Bob at the local coffee shop says, death is just another sunset. What does he mean? Well, the sun will rise again tomorrow. There will be another you. There will be another us. There will be another life. There will be another experience. There will be another celebration. There will be another fail, another triumph there will be another sunset. It's also a metaphor for sometimes shit happens. And what I'm here to say is celebrate you for who you are because we are celebrating my wife, your mother and I are celebrating you both Kai and tin as the unique beings that you are. Giving you space to unfold, giving you space to be emotional, to be with your feelings, to navigate through this EQ landscape, not just IQ. We do care about information and knowledge, but we've lived in a predominantly left brain approach kind of world up until now, and we're realizing it's failing us because we've actually made the right brain sort of be a a nice accessory that it It's not really the driver it's the passenger so the left has driven well the right brain is about to grab that wheel as Daniel Pink says in his book where he talks about how right brain thinkers will rule the future a new kind of mind we do need to put emphasis on the right brain as much as we put on the left brain thinking and if you look around our world like if you sort of look down from the top, from the Ivy League track top, right? The you got your double MBA, you're at the top, you're looking down to a baby that's just about to be born. That pull upward towards financial success, towards a degree, towards the agreement that you're intellectually smart and a CEO, CFO, anything between a C and an O, you know, that pull is shifting and it needs to shift because we are being very selfish. Often as parents, our agenda is to give our children degrees, not love it's to actually celebrate their grades, not their uniqueness. Let that sink in. We are more committed to celebrating our children's grades than we are committed to celebrating their uniqueness because behind all that is our selfish little fear-driven agenda that what if our children don't quote unquote, turn out. Well, what is the definition of turned out in your little dictionary? Could it be that it's all actually related to monetary success and to being accepted in society to make something of yourselves? Well, back then they said, Become a lawyer, you know, become certain things that we thought were guaranteed to be always in need and make a lot of money. And even that's changing. So the question is Have we potentially lost? The connection with our children, have we stopped seeing them for who they are? They are young beings they are here to develop into themselves. They're here to learn, to become who they actually are, their unique selves. And they're here. They're on a mission just as we are. You know, as much as we are, if we allow to just put aside all this degrees and money and paying the bills and looking good in front of the neighbors and all that bullshit, all the cultural, social conditioning, like my mentor, Brett Jones calls it. It's a culture. Culture is a cult and we're born into it. If we put that aside for a moment, then we are present to unique beings who all they want is just unfold let me just try things out, let me fail, let me spill the milk, let me get a bad grade, let me be lazy today, let me play video games, let me let me just be with me and see what happens. Well, that would require a lot of trust, wouldn't it, on the behalf of parents. Unfortunately, parents are not willing to invest the kind of self-development work it would take to become a trusting parent in that sense. So what I'm here to say, my son's kind Etienne, is start leading as yourself. Develop yourself for who you are moment to moment. Don't ever stop picking something because you think you should out of obligation. Another mentor of mine, Richard Condon, recently made a post on social media talking about not doing anything anymore out of an obligation. Simply choosing people and projects and reactions because we want to. We're inspired by them. We feel that that project, that person is worth our time. Now I want you, my sons, to live a life that you're proud of in the end, that you've tried things out, that you've failed, you've fallen flat on your face, You've broken that tooth and you have fixed it. You've went to see this country and that country. You've met these kind of people. You've your hearts were broken. You've lost jobs. You've slept on other people's couches. You've partied hard. You've experimented with different things that could have influenced your, your consciousness, your intellect, your heart. You've tried ceremonies where you celebrated human being, where you explored a new depth of dimension a new depth of yourself, of other people, of the community, of the world. And then when your life comes to an end, you can smile and say, you know what? That was a fucking awesome ride. That's what I'm committed to as your father to continue from now until I pass to create a fucking awesome ride for the four of us, our family. And I'm here to say, when you fear, I'll, I will be there. When you doubt, I will be there. When you need an ear, I will be there. When you want to just talk and not be given advice, I will be there. When you just want to see your parents to have lunch and go back home, wherever you're living at the time, that's okay. But I want you to know we're here. And that space that we're giving you now to letting you unfold will always be there. And that acceptance, which truly is love, Love, by the way, is not a romantic idea or some kind of a conditional construct. Love simply is acceptance. Accepting someone for who they are and who they're not. Period. Everything else is not love. There's intimacy, there's sex, there's conditional, what I call conditional love is business, right? It's like, if you don't do that, I love you or if you do this, I love you. That's business. It's not even, that's not a joke. That's not a metaphor. It's business. The definition of love simply is to accept someone for who they are and who they're not. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Now the issue there is (laughs) loving ourselves. And again, my sons, I'm here to say the more time you spend on yourself, of diving deep and figuring out where the stops are, what holds you back in life, what are the traumas, what are the things that you will develop through and over and past that makes you a better human being. That will lead you to self-love, to acceptance of, ah, that's who I am and, ah, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but I'm perfect because I'm imperfect. That's what makes us perfect. The more you do that kind of work, I'm here to say that you will be someone who loves themselves. And then only then can you love thy neighbor. And that is what your mom and I are working on constantly. We're always judgmental. You know, I hear people all the time talking about, Oh, this person's a racist and you're this. And you know, it's the name calling, right? And you should love this person and you should like this and not like this and watch this. And that's all nonsense. That's all inside, again, conditional acceptance. That is not love. But it's no wonder because we are not raised. I wasn't raised to actually look deeper and say, what would it take to love myself, to accept myself? Who am I? And, and, and what's the kind of work I could be doing to, to sort of get there, right? I wasn't raised that way. Most of my friends were not raised that way. Lots of people I know were not raised that way. There's no classes, in school, in public school that you can take or that you have in elementary and middle school and high school about that. How come? Well, we haven't yet figured out that what's causing all this havoc in our world All this craziness that we call, oh, my God, it's such a fucked up world. I don't want to have kids. I don't want to bring kids into this world. The reason why lots of people feel that way, and again, like I said earlier, it's justified. We have a right to say, I don't want to have kids. I want to have kids. There's no judgment here, at least not for me. But the reason why we call this a screwed up world is because we have placed all our emphasis on the structure of degrees, financial success, acceptance, and respect in the business world, power, essentially. Once we shift away from that and we realize that true power never needs force, true power never needs money, true power never needs anyone to be less than, or, than us, true power never you know, needs to step over someone on the ladder or step on someone on the ladder to get ahead. Well, then what is true power? my sons, what I've discovered true power is to take full responsibility for your life at any given moment to say that thing that just happened is right here in front of me in my life. So therefore I am responsible, not it's my fault or I'm to blame, or I'm the one because of me, it went wrong. So I should be ashamed or I should have done better. None of that responsibility is simply saying, it's here, it's happened, it's in my life, I'm responsible for it, now let me do something about it. That gives you power. But saying, well, I had nothing to do with this, if the government didn't do this, or if my friend didn't do this, or if this driver didn't drive this way, or if blah, 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 that is no power, zero power. And people usually who live that way, then go about finding power another way, whether it's money, money, Uh, sex, you name it. They somehow get to a structure that gives them then power and that is actually not true power. That's force. And we can never force people to like us. We can never force to be great. We can never force and create loving, peaceful, beautiful outcomes. So therefore, power is in taking responsibility for our lives, for everything in our lives. And I want to bring this back to ADHD because this ultimately is a podcast on ADHD. And if you've listened this far, thank you, bless you, I appreciate you, I promise you this will be worth your ADHD filter listening because the project we're creating, ADHD is over, the documentary, the book, the podcast, the movement, is about taking full responsibility in our lives. And it starts with parents saying, oh, I have a child with what they, doctors, educators, say has this so-called disorder called ADHD. So in other words, there's some friction between my child and the school, and perhaps between my child and um, you know, our household, our family, at home, right? So there's friction. So that friction. I'm going to take a stand and say, we, me, my heart, my husband, me, my partner, um, are responsible for this. We need to take responsibility for having this child. Now, again, it's not a blame. It's not a fault. It's not like you're wrong, but it is taking responsibility. And what could that look like? For example, you have a child with ADHD. First of all, and this, this is interesting, let me give you an example. So sometimes when I'm on a Zoom call or I'm doing an interview or talking to, you know, doing research, talking to parents or children, usually someone will say, even if it's not ADHD related, somebody, you know, once the project comes up will say, oh, yeah, 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 my, my cousin or my brother or my sister, um, you know, their youngest just got diagnosed with ADHD and i usually take a deep breath and i go to my heart and i say to them can i ask you a question they go sure how's their marriage and usually the end well usually 95% of the time and that's a pretty high percentage that person will say well that's the issue or well they they had a divorce recently or well, yeah, there's something there, but they don't want to talk about it. There's always, it's never like, oh no, their relationship is perfect. Well, I'll take that back. So sometimes somebody will say, oh no, they're fine. And the more the conversation goes on, suddenly there'll be hints where I go like, oh, okay. So, you know, you're saying they are separated or, or, Okay, so the husband's doing drugs or there's something, some form of what we call a traumatic event or a traumatic space that gets created often in that relationship, in that family. Right. And what we're discovering uh, with our documentary with, you know, in four years of research, talking to the top experts, um, is that those traumatic spaces and events that get created at home are. Always at the root cause of mental disorders. And some of you may say like, yeah, that's bullshit trauma, I don't have any trauma. Well, there's some specialists like Peter A. Levine and Gabor Mate who have books with lists in them. And trauma is not just abuse, physical abuse or verbal or sexual or, you know, it's also lack of nurturing. It's also the absence of one parent um, you know, at birth. Um, it's also, uh, transgenerational trauma that, uh, you know, the, the husband's grandfather, um, was abusive and it got handed down. And there's also things like prenatal stress and there's many things, there's lists of traumas that we usually conventionally don't think of as traumas. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is also again, for my sons to dig deep And find your traumas. Because we as parents, we did the best job we could. Any parent does the best job they can, I believe. Even if there's violence, even if there's um, negligence, that comes from their own trauma. So to blame, again, is not taking responsibility. So even if we know, well, my grandfather was this and my dad was this and my dad left. He was alcoholic and all that stuff. Got it. Get over it. That's called taking responsibility. Here we are, something's not working, I'm gonna figure it out, right? Because the other option is victimhood, self-pity, excuses to live an ordinary life. Who wants that? Well, millions of people actually think that is a better life, a more comfortable life, and the issue is that we seek comfort rather than growth. Uh, There's no growth from being comfortable, just FYI, I can tell. I've done this for 50 years and, uh, there is no growth without being uncomfortable, no real growth. And so going back to that, uh, once we realize there's traumas, we go to work and we process and heal them. So this message is for my sons, find your trauma. Your mom and I did the best job we could, but still there's going to be some trauma. There's going to be some things that I created when you were born, when you were young, when I cheated. And even when I made it up still, there was, there was, uh, almost a year or like six months to a year of uncertainty as a, as a man, I was more in my feminine than in my masculine and your mom had her own issues, uh, transgenerational. So that I, all that stuff, some of that spills over and you'll have to deal with that. And I apologize for that in advance, but that's life. And I take responsibility. That's what we've created with you. But I want you to know that we did the best job we could. We really did. And we continue to do so we will, but look there first, as my friend told me once before a saying that stuck with me for years now is your mess is your message. Your message leads to purpose. We're all here for a purpose. So engineer it backwards. What's your mess? It's as simple as that. Or if you're lost and you're already out there convinced you're doing your passion, you're shouting from the rooftop with a bullhorn, what's your message? Because then you can reverse engineer and see what your mess is. So it's, it's the work that needs to get done. Trauma is truly like a hurdle. The opportunity for us to jump over and land stronger and faster and wiser. Unfortunately, this world is scared to face trauma. Trauma has become a taboo, a thing that, oh, there's none of that in our family. We're good. No, we're nice. We go to church. We don't have trauma. Everything's fine here. But my child's the problem. My child has anxiety. Let me just tell you something. Children mirror their parents or they carry their emotions. So when a child has anxiety or anger or frustration and so forth, that is not the child. Yes, the child is acting out, but that is not the, the location of the source is not the child. I've seen it again and again and again and again by simply asking the questions. When somebody tells me, Oh, my son is so angry. Again, first question is, how's the marriage? How's the household? You know, what's happening? Talk to me. And almost always do we get somewhere where I go, oh, well, that's why he's upset. And he doesn't know or she doesn't know any other way how to express it. So they run around in circles or they yell till 11 p.m. Or they, you know, they kick and scream in the car. or I mean, there's many ways children will express it. But look, let me just say something here. Children will never express it calmly in an adult manner and say at six or seven years old, "Uh, mom and dad, I feel I'm feeling some anger. Um, You know, I'd like to express my anger." no, it's never going to happen. But yet we treat them that way. We treat them like you should behave like an adult. You should just not kick at the backseat of the car. You should sit still at dinner. You should, you know, uh, learn all this useless nonsense they teach you at school that you could Google and YouTube now. But, you know, the kids will rebel because they're like, this is bullshit. They see through it, especially, I believe, lots of kids. Uh you know, born recently, uh, are special and very sensitive beings. Whether you believe in reincarnation or not, I believe there's some wiser, older souls that, that we have reborn in this world. And you look at a kid and you can see it. And they just look at you like, I see the bullshit, just cut the bullshit. You know, I see that with my oldest son, who's pointed out the hypocrisy many times with me, has called me out on my integrity of being late or promising something, of not delivering it or of, cons- you know, of course they say, you always do this and you never do this. And then here I argue, like, you can't use the word always, that's not true, never. But that's their experience, you know? If you tell a kid uh, 10 times out of 50 that you're going to be on time, but you're not, then their listening is, you're always late. And then we go, like adults, well, that is not true, son. Uh, 10 out of 50 is not always, you know? It's it's just, it's insanity. Uh, So, dear sons, if you're listening to this, you may find it sometimes... Perhaps I wasn't talking to you directly, but I wanted you to also get an insight into how my brain works and what I think and feel around ADHD. Because you, Kai, were diagnosed in 2016 when you were seven, and they said that you had ADHD, uh, you had um, autism, you had uh, dyslexia, you had a tic disorder, and another developmental disorder, and, you know, your mom and I said... Uh, I I don't think they're talking about the same child. This is our son, Kai, who's very unique. Yes, high energy, but very smart, very creative, fun guy, strong will. And yet that was the diagnosis. And this is how this all started. So in full circle, I want you to know that COVID is just another opportunity for us as human beings, as a family, to flex our muscle of strength and love, that we're going to get through this together, no matter what. I promise you this as a father, as the leader of the family, I will support you with love. I will support you with so much space to be you, not just through COVID, but for the rest of your lives. And I want you to know that you're doing amazing. I mean, this has not been an easy time and there's been some emotional breakdowns, but for the most part, we're talking 80, 90% of the time during this whole COVID, you guys have been soldiers. You guys are strong. You guys are like 11 and, and, and eight years old, but you're acting sometimes more mature than some of my friends who are out there just falling apart. And yes, you have a nice home and nice parents and we're doing well and all is okay and we're healthy. You know, it's a good environment to be in, but we worked fucking hard for this. Excuse my language, but your mom and I really worked hard so we could enjoy this. We've done so much work on ourselves. You know, I always smile when someone says like, well, this is not working. That's not working. And I say, well, you you know, take a seminar Ah, at not That's not for me. I don't believe in that, that stuff. I don't take transformation or self-development workshop. That's all bullshit shit. Okay. Well, I'm here to say that, you know, my wife and I, Tatiana, we've taken self-development workshops since 2003. It's going on 20 years. Well, 17, but right going on 20 years, almost 20 years of continuously peeling the onion. And we would not be where we are without that and mentors and books And continuously, daily, how can we be more conscious? How can we be better parents? How can we be better businessmen, women, right? Like continuously peeling that onion, flexing the muscle, admitting righteousness, being vulnerable, telling each other stuff that hurts, recommitting, you know, giving the kids space, failing at parenting, picking it back up, doing it again. And you know what? It's amazing what's come out of this the emotional the mental health that our children are currently in i believe is a direct result of the kind of development work we've done the kind of parenting we apply and the kind of stands we take in the world and i really this is really an acknowledgement to us as parents because very rarely do we acknowledge ourselves and i especially don't ever really acknowledge myself or if somebody does acknowledge me i go uh oh, brush it off right but you know what we're fucking awesome and our kids are awesome And you know what? You can have the same thing. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're still listening, I know this is a ramble. Uh, If you're still listening, you can have anything you fucking want in life. How come? Because I've tried it and it's working and I'm just some regular guy. Sure. I'm unique. I'm different. But you know what? I still have fear. I still have insecurities. I still feel like I'm not good enough. I still feel like it's all going to disappear any moment, you know, but that's just being human. Meanwhile, I move forward, I create crazy shit, I take big steps, bold risks, I have fun at it, I keep peeling the onion, I keep getting more authentic and vulnerable, and then I die, but I want to have a wild, crazy ride. So, kids, if you're listening to this, hopefully until the end, I want you to know that I had a pretty wild ride. I hope you do too, and yours is probably going to be even wilder, and you're going to say, well, my dad, eh, that's pretty wild, but not as wild as I am, right? Again, you stand on the shoulder of giants. My dad had a pretty cool life too, but... I think I just took that and took it to the next level and moved to the U S and you know, got into the entertainment business, was on TV and movies and produced them and made commercials. And you know, like I just kind of took it to the next level and you can do the same thing. All we need is to realize that fear will always be there, but love will triumph. Also celebrate uniqueness of your children, not grades. I'm going to say that one more time because it's, I think it's going to be my new saying. Celebrate uniqueness, not grades. Really, your children will become emotionally healthy. They won't be emotionally malnourished like so many children, especially, and I'm getting on a side here, but especially a lot of medicated children are malnourished emotionally. They will be Unable to fully function in the world that's being created that we'll have in front of us in 10, 20 years. Because artificial intelligence, I know I'm jumping around here, will replace or first replaces the things that are easily replaceable, like repetitive things. And nobody would have thought that even lawyers are becoming a little bit irrelevant because there's now legal services that you can use and because algorithms figured out how to write contracts. really not that bad. I used to write my own contracts because I would get other people's contracts and go like, well, here's the language. I'm just going to modify it, right? Now, there's still certain things lawyers need to do. But my point is that if it can be replaced, if it's repeatable, and if someone else can do it somewhere else in another country for cheaper, you're at risk to not having work or you're at risk to sort of keep wandering and looking for what it is that you want because your parents told you you should be a lawyer, but then you became a lawyer, but now you're out of work and you realize that's not really what you want to do and you're depressed. So to me, that's just one of the scenarios of what could happen to children that keep getting medicated because what we're doing to children when we actually give them stimulant drugs, look, again, I'm here to say you can medicate your children. That's not right or wrong. Do it, but please Do the research. Talk to kids who are now older who are medicated and talk to kids that are older that are not medicated. There's people out there. There's stories out there. Don't disregard them and call them, oh, the anti-meds people, kind of like they do that with vaccines. They go, oh, he's an anti-vaxxer. By the way, most anti-vaxxers are not anti-vaccines. They're anti what's in the vaccines. That's, by the way, a different story than just calling someone an anti-vaxxer. Am I anti-medication? No, I'm I'm only anti-ignorance when people don't realize what the effects could be on their children. And so I'm here to say before you medicate your children, talk to people, talk to parents. I've talked to countless parents of children that were medicated or were not medicated or were medicated at first and then got off the medication or were medicated and then, you know, had some serious medical issues and then got taken off medication. And all of them that I've talked to, most of them, I mean, there's some people that have heartwarming and heart, uh, wrenching stories, but they all turned out. They all have lives. Some of them got college degrees. Some of them are married. Some of them have their own business right? It's not doomsday when you don't medicate your kids. Let me just tell you that. And you'll see that in our film, ADHD's over when it comes out next year, release day TBD, we'll keep you posted, that there is another story. There is another side. And here's what it is. When we, the, the bottom line, when we medicate our children, we're essentially numbing. Let me take that back because some people get triggered with the word numbing. Let me use a different word. We're essentially limiting their right brain approach to life, and we're forcing them into a system that's mostly left brain approach, like spreadsheets, numbers, memorization, you know, SAT stuff, right? So we're medicating them so that their right brain kind of like gets quieter, shuts down, you know, for the time being, and they can use their left brain to memorize and to pass the SATs and get the grades. What happens over time, imagine it's like a muscle. What happens over time is that child's right brain will eventually be not smaller like a muscle. I'm not a medical doctor. That's probably not a good analogy. But it will just be quieter. And it won't be sort of uh, uh, used to speaking up when the left brain is running the show, right? The the right brain approach has been the passenger seat. Left brain approach has been running the show, driving the car. So what happens is we then have graduates who go out out into the world, and they're going to approach things very linear and binary. And they're going to quickly realize that they're inside of a box, and that the company hiring is actually going to replace them with someone who can think outside the box and still consider, you know, still be inside. But they can analyze the inside of the box, ask for what it is inside the box, and they can go outside of the box and see it from there. And that is only possible if the right brain has been given the right amount of emphasis and value in a student's life. And our education system needs to change. And it will change. I know that. But it's only going to change from a, uh, um, thanks for being with me right now. It's going to change with a supply and demand change, which means parents have to start demanding the same amount of emphasis on EQ that we have placed on IQ, same amount on right brain as we've placed on left brain. When that demand starts to go up, the supply will follow, meaning from the Ivy League track tower down, education will change. And it's happening. I'm not worried. It's happening. It'll probably be past my son's college age. It'll probably be in about 20 years, maybe 25 years, that we're going to see what's called a tipping point where if, I, I know there's other rules, but I, I would just, for, for simple graphics, say where 51% of the educational systems have tipped over into being more balanced with uh, left and right brain, with EQ and IQ. And it's going to have to start in elementary school, all the way, I mean, middle school, high school, college, and it will. So until that happens, all I'm asking for is do a little bit more research than listen to the loudest narrative in the room. And the loudest narrative in the room will always be scientists who actually get paid by companies to do research. There was a funny quote today, and it was called something like, 97% of scientists agree with the sources that fund them. And, you know, it's a joke and it could easily trigger someone to say like, oh, what are you saying? You know, in coronavirus time and scientists are not real and blah, 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 blah. There's a whole baggage that comes with it. But I think the point it was trying to make was, look, scientists, unless they're fully self-funded, which nowadays is hard to do, you need a lot of money for equipment and studies and travel and so forth, right? There's always an interest. Who is interested in having this study? And what are the parameters of the study? And has it been recreated by other people, perhaps on the other side of the uh, the interest, right? That's always interesting to me, because it's usually one side that does it. And this goes for both sides. But one side does it and says, that's it. That's the science. And then the other side you know, doesn't follow up with it and doesn't do the same uh, study, because maybe they can't afford it. So now we're left with a one-sided study. And of course, people say, well, that's the source of the study. Um, and I know there's, there's uh, a need for, for an experiment or a study to be repeated for it to be considered science or truth or fact or whatever. But the point here is not to get lost in the, detail, the details. The point is that we have to connect the dots. We have to follow usually what's called the money or the interest. As parents, I feel like we owe it to our children to look deeper, than to just accept the first narrative that comes our way that's the strongest, the loudest, and the most financially supported narrative, which is currently that stimulant drugs, medication, uh, is the most effective treatment for ADHD today. That is what's out there uh, as a narrative. We are here to say that is not true. We are here to say that stimulant drugs are very effective to manage an ADHD or so-called ADHD child's brain so they can academically perform well and everybody will be satisfied and go back to normal, their normal lives, right? That, yes, that it does do, but there's also no scientific evidence that it actually improves academic performance over time. There's not. There's limited evidence, but it was actually disproven that, uh, that these drugs actually improve academic performance. They simply enhance it at the time. So if a child continues taking it from six years old to 20 years old, that is literally all they're doing is continuously give them drugs to perform well at the time. But it doesn't mean once that child is off the drugs that they will be performing well in life. And so often... We've talked to dozens of um, children who are now young adults in their 20s who said that they were lost. They came off of their drugs. They then went out into the world, and they simply couldn't function because they still had their their symptoms, their friction with the world. But now they had no medication, so a lot of them went back on medication, whereas others started to self-medicate. Just by the way, another myth that the loud narrative uh, tries to make us believe that uh, children with ADHD who are not medicated will self-medicate with other drugs. We've talked to dozens of young adults who actually started self-medicating because they were on ADHD medication, because for them taking a drug, something outside of them that would make them feel better, was actually okay. It was normal. Let's experiment, right? So there's lots of myths that we're going to be um, debunking, um, you know, during uh, these podcasts and more so in the film, this is not, the podcast isn't meant to give you all these, um, you know, who has time for all these studies and links and all that, that's all going to be in the film and on our website. When the film comes out, the podcast is here meant to, uh, steer up and inspire meant to challenge logic belief that when you're hearing this, maybe something will click. Uh, Maybe something that I say or I refer to, you go, oh, I never, okay, I'll look that up or I'm going to do more research now. I feel inspired, you know, whatever. It's a conversation. This is not a study. This is not a source material link kind of podcast. That would be boring. That's not the kind of podcast I do. I simply don't. None of this was scripted. None of this. I don't have a bullet list in front of me. I have nothing but a mic and a laptop and a glass of water, my glasses and my phone on the kitchen table. There you go. Um, so thank you for listening. This has been a fairly all over the place rant. Uh, it was meant to be, like I said, part talking about COVID and ADHD, talking about fear and love, being a letter to my sons. And also really, again, what I call recommitting to our commitment, which is to bring parents insights and and stir up like some conversations inside our brains inside our minds so that we're not just simply buying the current the loudest narrative but we're allowing ourselves to dig deeper and if in the end we still choose to medicate we still choose to give our children the label of ADHD that's okay that's our right we can do that you can do that i will say if what you're doing brings fulfillment, balance, and love to the family, you keep doing that, because why would you not? But if it doesn't, consider another option and see if something out there that's not as loud as that narrative could be the option. That is all we're saying. Hey, you guys are awesome. Thanks for listening. Love you, love you, love you. Stay strong. This too shall pass. Love wins over fear. And guess what? Your children will be the next leaders and the, the, the thinkers and, and, and the, the creators and the beautiful people that are going to make our world into what it is going to be next. And I'm excited because, Hey, the new beginnings are always super cool. Love you. Love you. Love you. Oh, by the way, ADHD's over.